and welcome to Soccer 101. My name is Taylor Rockwell, and today it won't just be me on the mic. It's time for expansion. Graham Ruffin has paid his $325 million fee to join this <laughs> podcast. Graham, I know it was a lot to ask. I promise it will probably maybe be worth it down the road. Thank you for being here. Thank you, Taylor. I mean, I presume you're okay with that being paid in crypto? That's uh, <laughs> that's okay with you, right? Yeah. It's just an ETF of your smiling face. That's what I want. Yeah. How many mortgages did you have to take out, or did you just have a cool several hundred million dollars lying around? Yeah, just lying around. Just yeah, lying around. Not using it at the moment. Yeah. <laughs> no, what happened was I, I did give you $325 million worth of crypto, but by the time it actually reached you, yeah. it was worth like $3. Yeah, it was a bummer. It was a bummer how that went. But you still get to be on the podcast. We're, we're expanding. We're going to incorporate you. And maybe less so Major League Soccer. I don't know if they would uh, accept crypto. Maybe one day with, they will. But we are taking a look at expansion in Major League Soccer. How did the league get to where it is? What makes a good expansion market? What comes next? We're going to get into all of that. I want to start with expansion itself because that is something that I think for Americans is more common. You see it all the time in sports, very all the time when it comes to Major League Soccer, less so with some of the other leagues, but you still get it. Graham, for you, how odd is the expansion concept? Um, I mean, to me, it's it's not odd just because I, I do follow mm-hmm. like American soccer and have written about MLS, but to someone in Europe who who doesn't, do that then yeah it is odd it's it's literally not a conversation we ever have in scotland yeah. or, or in england there are obviously discussions about should we restructure the league like Scot- scotland's top flight is 12 teams at the moment we do talk about whether it would be better as a 16 team league but that that's not you're, you're pulling those clubs just from the lower division you're not like creating any new clubs or going to new locations in fact scotland i would argue has too many clubs. We have 42 senior league clubs for a, a country of uh, just over 6 million people. So that is that is a lot of football clubs. And then we've got like Highland League and East of Scotland League. There's a whole ecosystem below that as well. So it's just not a, a discussion we have. But then I would maybe say, well, given where MLS is and American soccer and North American soccer in, in general, where it is in its history, maybe these were the sort of conversations Scottish football people were having back in like the 1800s where oh, a team did... Uh, pop up and oh there's not a team in Ayrshire shall we create a team in Ayrshire yeah like like let's do it so maybe it's just different points of history that does invite a mention for ProRel which we'll talk about later on maybe not as in depth as we've talked about uh, in other episodes of 101 and other episodes of Total Soccer Show but for Graham for you when you first learned about expansion how how strange was it then well like I guess was that a a curiosity that pulled you in that made you interested and like oh there's a new team coming online what's the kit gonna look like what are the colors gonna be how are they gonna operate i still think that's a point of of interest Mm -hmm. like that is that is a thing that maintains my interest in in mls like obviously charlotte fc coming online this year i remember the excitement around uh like lafc Mm -hmm. coming into mls i went to the first ever orlando city um game which was at home to new york city fc they both played their first um, expansion game, the first ever MLS game against each other. I was at that game and I deliberately went over for that game because that was exciting to me. Um, so yeah, absolutely. It's something that pulls me in. I think in general, my interest in MLS largely comes from, as a Scottish football fan, nothing is ever new. Everything is very ancient. Everything is stuck and uh, set in stone. Um, and with MLS and North American soccer, obviously I know there is a history that goes back to like the World Cup in the 50s and the mm. NESL and moving forward. But in terms of the league, MLS, it, it, like it's all very new and everything is clubs are coming online and starting from scratch. And oh, what's their kit going to look like? They have to come up with something from nothing. And that is yep. 
that's interesting to me, and, and I don't get that kind of fix or hit anywhere else in, in soccer. So let's go all the way back to the weird and wild times of the 90s, uh, because that's when the league first begins in 1996. There's an agreement reached with FIFA in, I believe, 93 in order for the U.S. to host the 94 World Cup. Worth remembering that when we talk about future hosts of the World Cup and, like, do they have the soccer credentials necessary to host... The U.S. didn't even have a league at the time that we hosted, but we do now, uh, and we did in 96. Uh, it featured 10 teams that inaugural season. We've got D.C. United, your eventual champions, Colorado Rapids, New England Revolution, New York, New Jersey Metro Stars, Tampa Bay Mutiny, Columbus Crew, L.A. Galaxy, Dallas Burn, San Jose Clash, and the Kansas City Wiz, which I always thought was the Wizards for some reason, but it turns out just the Wiz. Graham, <laughs> of those 10 teams... Which one Which one do you like the most in terms of the, the name? Which name the pulls you in? The Wiz? The Wiz. It's the Wiz? I yeah, had a feeling. It's totally the Wiz. I mean, I just can't, I can't believe that they were like, yeah, that doesn't mean anything else. <laughs> <laughs> if you, like, is this the type of uh, kit that you would go and search for? Like, are you looking for those original 96 kits? So I don't have them in front of me, so I'm going mm. off the top of my head. But the, but Kansas City around that time had some incredible kits. Like they were oh, the yeah. ones that that went with the rainbow colors and stuff that like that, correct. the black and the rainbow mm. colors. They they are they are incredible kits. I would love to get my hands on on one of those. But whenever I see them, they're always hundreds and hundreds of dollars to to buy them. But yeah, I think the the kits around that time are are were pretty wild da- dallas burn was was a was a horse like the, their yep. badge was a was a horse a flaming horse maybe that might be. <laughs> am i imagining that that, that could be that could be <laughs> yeah and so kansas city the, i'm ashamed of like how long it took me to realize the wizard of oz connection with the rainbow kits with the whiz yep. name itself yeah that, that was there were some like clever names in there the metro stars one has always been an odd one to me the tampa bay mutiny also seemed like an odd name for a club like if you're trying to show that you're Squad is all harmonious and together yeah. <laughs> and pulling in the same direction. Mutiny doesn't really lay the foundation for that. That that is a weird one. That that I'm not even sure that's a weird and good. That might just be weird and bad. <laughs> Tampa Bay Mutiny. <laughs> weird and bad, baby. Uh, but we do then get into expansion fairly quickly. 1998, we expand to 12 teams, Miami and Chicago. Uh, and then it, four short years later, we say bye-bye to Tampa Bay. We say bye-bye to Miami. The league, I believe, had lost around $250 million in those, I think, first five years of operation. So, Graham, why do you feel like those initial attempts at expansion didn't take root or didn't have the success that maybe was hoped for? I'm assuming a lot of the answers to some of the questions we're going to be asking and discussing is basically just boiling down to money. Yeah, partially. I mean, those those losses that you you mentioned, two hundred fifty million dollars over over uh, over five years. That's what MLS bled in, in its first years of its of its, of its existence. Mm-hmm. That was definitely a big factor. And you look at Miami. So that Miami actually won the Eastern Conference in their final year. Were a pretty legendary team that included the likes of of Preki and 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 Dario Serna. I was looking through their roster. They had a young Kyle Beckerman and a young Nick Romando in there as well. Weird. Weird. Um, so yeah, so that 2001 team, the the final season they played was actually pretty decent. However, Miami in general, they just they struggled to a- attract crowds out to Fort Lauderdale, and so it was decided that there would never be another MLS franchise <laughs> ever again in Fort Lauderdale. <laughs> cough, cough. Um, but MLS had concerns over the investment p- being put into that franchise by uh, by the ownership group and. 
they actually asked the league to, to help out fund the organisation. And over in Tampa, they had similar issues with the, with the fan base. But the league literally did fund that team because they owned the team. There was no ownership group. And uh, so the the pair were folded at the same time. I think it was just convenient to do that. Obviously, if you get out of one, you have an 11-team league. That's slightly awkward. They're both uh, geographically... Yeah, fairly close to each other in the same state anyway, so it, it felt like the, the two of them were, were paired together. And that general, if we were to look at the primary issues, you know, lack of investment, lack of interest from the ownership group, and to be frank, lack of interest, that doesn't mean they didn't have any fans, but they were certainly below what MLS expected. That that was kind of why the league contracted at that point, and, and it felt like... Um, that felt like a key moment in MLS history where they do have to contract and they do have to reconsider, okay, we can't just really go into any market and and be successful. We do have to be slightly more calculated in that process. And I remember like following the league at that time and, and there were concerns similar to how we still have concerns about uh, women's soccer and leagues have folded in the relatively recent history. I remember the spin on, no, it's good that we're moving from 12 to 10 and it will give us more talent and more dedicated markets. And you could just, you could hear the sort of uncertainty around some of those, like, no, 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 it's really, really good. Like, you could hear how high-pitched yeah. the voices were as they were trying to sell us on that. And and then, like, it continues to not go as well as it has since then. You have Chivas uh, and RSL joining in 2004. Chivas then uh, take a hiatus and get rebranded after a couple of years. Then it does feel like there were some, like, early attempts at expansion that didn't take root or didn't have the success that have been found now. And it does feel like that starts to turn around in maybe the mid to late 2000s when we get Toronto joining Seattle, Portland. That feels like where they kind of hit their stride, figure some things out. Toronto wasn't very good for a very long time, but then they start spending some money and get better. But Graham, when we talk about the the sort of successful start to expansion, do you agree that it's around that time period? Yeah, absolutely. I I identify it as between 2007 and and 2011. So as you say, Toronto coming into the league, Mm -hmm. you then have um, San Jose in 2008 there maybe. I don't want to annoy San Jose fans anymore this week, (laughs) (laughs) but they're maybe not. You wouldn't class them in in this group, but they're in 2008. Then you have uh, most notably Seattle Sounders in 2009 and then Vancouver and Portland in 2011. And I think the admission of the Cascadia teams in particular really ramped up MLS expansion. That felt like a turning point in the history of the league as as a whole. I I think there are a few reasons why that was so significant. First, MLS found ownership groups with Mm -hmm. deep pockets. You know, Toronto FC were and still are owned by Maple Leaf Sports Entertainment, who also own the the Toronto Raptors and the Toronto Maple Maple Leafs in in the city. Both successful franchises. Well, the Raptors weren't really back then, but they have since become a successful franchise. The Maple Leafs, one of the biggest teams in, in NHL. Um, and their bid also came with a plan for a soccer-specific stadium. So TFC had a, a proper home from their first season. It was around that time, the, the late 2000s, where there was a real drive to build those venues. And it, and it just it just gives these teams an identity. I've always I've always believed that having a, a home of their own just it it draws fans out to to games if they feel like they're going to get a proper experience rather than just sitting in a cavernous NFL stadium and and really feeling like squatters mm. in someone else's home. Um, I think another significant thing around this period, looking at the Cascadia teams in particular, was that MLS got over its nervousness around the NASL e- e- era. Yeah. 
Um, until then, the league had done everything possible to distance itself from the NASL due to the way it imploded. But by bringing in the Cascadian teams all with their NASL era names, I think it was a symbolic moment that NLS was going to take some of the best bits of American Canadian soccer history for itself. Mm-hmm. And the benefit of doing that was these franchises already had sleeping fan bases. They had cultural groundwork that other franchises didn't have or had struggled to create up until up, up until that moment. So yeah, that, that that's a big thing for me is just the MLS, it kind of shook off that baggage that it had in its first phase of of previous failed attempts to get a professional league up and running in American soccer. And, and the Cascadia teams, as I say, they were, they were really, really important. I think that's a really important period in MLS's whole history. And I think you could argue it's just as important as, I don't know, Beckham arriving in the league or mm-hmm. something like that. It really felt like MLS at that point had found its footing of these are the sort of fan bases and teams and markets we want to go after. And I think I'm right in saying that even with Seattle, they initially did, I can't remember if that was the league or the uh, ownership group, didn't want to be called the Sounders. They put it to a vote and Sounders won with like a write-in massive amount of votes. Like, yeah, that was the appeal of that history of that connection. And I do think that's where Major League Soccer starts to maybe like diversify what they're looking for, not embracing actual diversity necessarily, but uh, like not just relying on this is the market. We've done this analysis. We know it's going to be here. That feels very top down. That feels very like a large company saying we're setting up a franchise here because we've done the market research and know that it will work versus there's an existing USL team that we're going to build the team around and then we'll add them to the league. There's an existing soccer history. There's a big TV market. Like, I think they start to look at different things. There's an owner with a ton of money who wants to invest and compete right away. Sure, that sounds good. But I do think, like, focusing more on existing soccer culture and the soccer history of the cities has had such a massive impact in the way expansion has gone because even in more recent times, like FC Cincinnati playing in, in USL, there, that's kind of the consistent thing with a lot of these teams as they come into the league is they have past experience competing at a lower level. So you already know that there is at least some interest there. There is a fan base. They, they can sort of run themselves. They've proven they can operate. And now when they move to Major League Soccer, there's a bigger budget and they can ideally prove that they can compete even more Cincinnati maybe not quite the same we're both just taking shots apparently early on Uh, (laughs) uh, what are some other factors you think Graham that maybe helped MLS expand in that era maybe from Mm -hmm. 2007 to 2011 we should add I think Philly also uh in that in that expansion era as well I think I think MLS was just generally smarter about what markets Mm. it was it was entering and and also what competition there would be for eyeballs in those markets so if you look at Portland for for instance they only really had, in terms of major league teams, they only really had the Portland Trailblazers to compete against mm-hmm. at that time. The Portland Thorns weren't weren't around. They they started in, in 2012. Um, and then Vancouver has sports teams, but again, only one major league team, the Canucks and, and NHL. And uh, it was the same with when Montreal came online. You know, they have a, a, an owner with deep pockets and a market that they could really make their own. And that period just set the tone for MLS in terms of not necessarily, this comes back around again, which we'll talk talk uh, talk about later, but they do kind of go back later on to looking for the big markets. But at this, at this moment, they're not so easily um, wooed by just simply population in, in, a, yep. in a market. You know, they, they look to the competition that they're going to face from other teams, the even things like climate and, and stuff like that. So... Yeah, it just felt like a smarter approach at this time. 
I, I agree. And I think part of that smarter approach is the ever increasing expansion fee. Uh, again, we go back to money. We'll probably talk about expansion fees again later on. But I, I think if you look at the issues that they had early on, as we've talked about, it is money. It is their ability to operate these teams to operate. You're relying on the league, Tampa Bay becomes league owned that is not ideal and so i i do wonder if some of the expansion fee is you know you you want to make sure that they're uh able to function and and you want to make a little bit of money if you're an existing owner but i think also it is a literal buy-in you are putting your money where your mouth is you are saying i am willing to invest this because it is a long-term project we're going to be here if you're asking someone to pay 100 million or to pay 50 million and they say yeah we can't really swing that that's really not what you want to hear from uh an owner a potential owner who's then going to be running a club that isn't going to make money that mls teams do not make money right now maybe they will down the road but i think you want to if you're don garber in the league ensure that the people who are getting involved are able to continue being involved as opposed to spending every dollar they have. And then if essentially, I guess if it's house poor, then you are team poor. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that was a, a key kind of recognition from MLS around this period. So we've talked a bit about how expansion worked uh, in the past, but we're going to look at what makes a good market and how it will continue to function uh, in just a moment. First, we'll take a break to hear from today's sponsors. Today's episode is brought to you by ExpressVPN. Using the internet without ExpressVPN is like having a first aid kit, but not keeping it stocked up. Most of the time, you'll probably be fine. But what if you suddenly get into a horrible accident and there's nothing in your first aid kit to help you stop the bleeding? Uh, In Con Air, I believe he needed a first aid kit for a syringe, and that first aid kit had chicken feet. Nicholas Cage wasn't happy when that happened, you wouldn't be either. So don't let your first aid kit have chicken feed in it. Don't let your connection be unsecure. Every time you connect to an unencrypted network, be it at a cafe, a hotel, an airport, any hacker on the same network can gain access to your personal data. And the truth is it doesn't take much technical knowledge to hack somebody. And your data is valuable and vulnerable, so you need to make sure it is secure. ExpressVPN creates a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. Hackers cannot steal your sensitive data. It would take a hacker with a supercomputer over a billion years to get past ExpressVPN's encryption. And nobody has a billion years to wait around. That just won't work. So that's why ExpressVPN is great. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash soccer. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N.com slash soccer. And you can get an extra three months free. That's expressvpn.com slash soccer. Thank you very much to ExpressVPN for sponsoring today's show. Welcome back to Soccer 101. We continue to talk about MLS expansion. Graham, I'm going to turn it to you to ask, what do you think makes a good market? What should MLS be looking for? What do you think they should look for? What are the factors to be considered? Yeah, so I'm, I'm going to start very simplistic here and uh-huh. boil it all the way down. I think you're looking for two things primarily, which we've probably covered a little bit. Owners who are willing and able to invest and maybe foot the bill for a little bit at the start to get the franchise up on their feet. And then a community that is that is ready to embrace soccer a soccer team I think if if you have those things those are those are good footing to to start on I honestly believe most markets can be good expansion markets it's, it's about giving a community something they, they previously didn't have um, it's about community outreach and giving a franchise value beyond the team on the pitch and I don't think that is necessarily related to population you know you look at some of the the, the most successful teams in, in some of the 
the biggest sport league, sporting leagues in the world, one of the ones that springs to mind is, and I'm not saying this is not a big population base, it's all relative though, you know, you look at the Green Bay Packers, who you wouldn't necessarily say, you know, Wisconsin, Green Bay is a massive, uh, a massive population base that you wouldn't necessarily plot to put a big team there if you were starting from scratch in, in the NFL, but they have that community outreach, they have that connection with the local community, and they're one of the most successful franchises around. So I do think you, most markets are ripe for some form of expansion. And I think it's quite interesting that MLS has changed what it is looking for in expansion markets over the years. And, and Don Garber, uh, commissioner himself, he's actually had some interesting th- th- things to say about this just this week, about how MLS is evolving its criteria when looking for expansion markets and franchises. And I'm just going to read out uh, uh, some of his, his comments, a direct quote. So I would say market size in the future of media is probably going to be less important than, than market engagement. We're thinking about where the future growth and opportunity is happening in North America and where we think MLS can be successful. What are the demographics in that community? What's the corporate base in that community? What's the international appeal in that community? What's the likelihood of getting the right stadium in the right location? And not thinking about it today, but sports teams for a long time, what will it look like over 10 or 20 or 30 years or beyond for generations? And I think that is a is a shift in how MLS is looking to these markets. As I say, I'm kind of covering over old ground here, but they're not necessarily looking for the biggest population bases. They're looking at a little bit closer which teams are going to put down roots and really yeah. attract fans and a community connection. That word connection, I think, is really key. And you look to teams like Portland and Atlanta. Yeah, of course, they're big clubs, but they have that connection with the community. And I think what that all represents to me is stability, that the league has moved past that era that we talked about where there was a feeling of like, is it going to continue to exist? Alexi Lalas talks about this all the time. For the longest time, just getting people to talk about soccer was the most important thing because it wasn't front and center. It wasn't on TV. It wasn't on Sports Center. It was difficult to watch or difficult to find. And there wasn't as big of an interest. It's not as though MLS is now raking in the cash, but it is much more stable. We know the league is going to continue to exist. And I think that allows you to have a platform to then reevaluate, reevaluate your process um, or reevaluate what you're trying to say um, and basically look again at what you're doing. And I think look towards the future. And I agree with you, Graham, that that seems to be what they're doing, or I guess I agree with Don Garber, that they're looking instead 50 years down the road, what is going, what's the country going to look like? What's the city going to look like? What's the the nature of sport going to look like? And I don't think that they're awarding some of these franchises or looking at some of these potential expansion cities as, oh, you all have this huge existing soccer market or you've got all these diehard fan bases or an existing USL team. I think they're looking at what's it going to look like down the road. That's why I think Vegas, the team that is most likely in my mind to be the 30th team in the league, appeals the way it does. Vegas isn't going to shrink. It's going to keep getting bigger. There's a very like interesting demographic population. I think there is interested interest in soccer. And so that's one where even if it's not, I don't think it's in the top 40 media markets in the country, but there's always going to be an appeal to Las Vegas, so it makes sense to put a team there. And I do think that's how they've sort of started to look again at expansion is where the areas that we think there will be growth down the road when the league becomes one of the biggest leagues in the world. Maybe not the biggest leagues, but that's effectively what you're selling. You're selling the potential to buy a team that someday could be one of those global giants that is raking in the money and known everywhere. And I think that's what a lot of these owners are investing in. And I think it's a pretty smart approach that the league has undertaken. 
Yeah, and, and that's tied into the, the rise in franchise value that yep. we have seen across mm-hmm. the board. Um, I, I read an, uh, an athletic article which you forwarded to me, <laughs> so sorry if I am uh, struggling, uh, uh, stealing your uh, thunder here. But um, they cite Forbes and they, and they say MLS clubs have risen in value by 30% from 2018 to 2019 to an average valuation of $313 million. And if you look at some of the, the biggest valuations of um, sports teams in general, but also soccer clubs across Europe. So we're talking, you know, Manchester United, Real Madrid, Liverpool, all those, all those teams. You look at the top 30 and there is a healthy number of MLS clubs in there. And that's not because they are comparable in size to all those big clubs that I just rung off. It's because you are buying a stake in the future. It's why you look at how Tesla is worth roughly five times what Toyota is worth. A company that makes many, many more cars than Tesla does and has lots more sales revenue than Tesla does. But it's about the promise of what's coming next, that you yeah. are, you're spotting a trend and you're going to be the guy who cashes in on spotting that trend first. And that's, that's what MLS is selling itself as is, look, we are not a top five league. MLS may, maybe isn't even a top 10 league at the moment in the world. I don't know. But they are selling themselves in the promise that they are going to be in that conversation in 20, 30 years or, or maybe even more than that. And I think in that same article, there was uh, like an expert or maybe even an owner talking about how like the, you, you probably can't buy with the money that these MLS teams are valued at. You can't buy an NFL franchise or an NHL franchise even but those are established established leagues where to buy in is going to be so expensive, it's almost prohibitively expensive unless you are the elite of the elite when it comes to the 1%. Uh, whereas with MLS, there's this expectation that there will be a huge expansion in growth and, and valuation and how much money will actually be coming in. And so if... Your like your values are expected to if you buy the Mets or that maybe that's a bad example because they're plenty rich but if you're buying the Royals or whatever it might be you're you're kind of going to be it's going to be dictated by the market by what you can sort of make in market in your sort of day to day operations but you're not having this huge growth in baseball whereas I think there is an expectation that soccer will continue to expand and explode in popularity and as people our age start having kids and we were raised on soccer we'll raise them on soccer and and that seems to be the idea that you're buying in now so that when soccer does become the dominant sport in the United States you bought in relatively on the ground floor or guaranteed your place on the ground floor if you're David Beckham uh then you can kind of have those results down the road be it you or your kids or whomever ends up buying the club after you there's this idea that there's potential growth and potential for making that money back uh, years from now, which is, I think, more of a long-term vision than I was expecting when we started this episode. <laughs> yeah, and am I right in thinking that I don't have this in, on my research, so that's, mm-hmm. I've let myself down a little bit there, but um, am I right in thinking that soccer is the fastest-growing sport among younger people in the States, maybe under 25 or something like that? That tends to be, yeah. comes out on top as the fastest-growing sport. So that's that's another thing. When people are putting down $325 million to buy an expansion franchise in MLS, that's got to be the sort of thing they're looking at and justifying their, their purchase with. How big do you think the league can get, though? If we're talking about expansion, we're at 29 now, or we will be when when St. Louis comes on board. Uh, I It seems to me, as I said, that Vegas is, a, is probably the leading candidate to make it to 30. Don Garber has said that they will pause expansion once they get to 30, so maybe that's it. But I think the sort of speculation, the consensus is that maybe they're actually targeting 32. 
mm-hmm. does that seem like a good number to stop at? Or at this point, Graham, with how big it is, should we just keep going to like 50? <laughs> so this is where my, my own kind of subjective opinion comes in. Um, mm-hmm. Soccer in America and Canada has almost limitless potential. When you look at the, the soccer ecosystems that are, are, exist in Europe, there's there's room for many, many more clubs. And I know that ecosystem in, in the States and Canada does does still, uh, does already, sorry, exist. It's maybe just not tied into MLS. You know, there are a number of tiers. There are so many clubs across the country. Um, that There is already an ecosystem, but I do think there is a room for many more. So I don't, I don't think there is a logistical issue or a problem with finding more markets or anything like that the the problem for mls in terms of further expansion is is a structural one for for me my personal view is that mls is already too big at 28 teams that as far as i can see that makes mls the biggest single division in world soccer and i know it's split into uh two conferences east and west but it's still one division because you have two teams from the two conferences playing each other over the course of the season. But that's actually the primary reason why I think MLS is already too big. You have a lopsided schedule. Teams mm-hmm. don't play everyone a set number of, of times. It differs season to season. In Scotland, we have a league split. So you could argue that we have a lopsided schedule as well. But that's designed to create excitement it's so that we have almost a mini end-of-season playoff series a little bit is how you how you would sell that. MLS has a lopsided schedule simply because it's too big and travel times are too big to fit everyone in. So you have some teams play away at that, uh, that venue one season, then they're away at the other venue the next season. And um, I'm just not convinced that is the sign of... A, a well-constructed league, and B, yeah. to be frank, a fair league. If, if, every, if teams are playing different fixtures season on season, it, it's very difficult to, to gauge where teams are. And that, that's the essence of, of football and soccer is, you know, the league table. Everyone plays everyone the same number of time. Everyone has the same opportunity. In MLS, that, that isn't the case. So I think if MLS wants to become the American soccer ecosystem, they want to keep the, the closed garden, so to speak, it will have to be with, with more than one division. Otherwise, you're going to, you're, you're, you're going to have to, uh, stick with the, with the current ecosystem with 32. I think that is an insane number of teams, to be honest, but you, I don't see how you can go beyond that. You can't get up close to 40 teams in one league. Um, and then, we, then we're talking about promotion and relegation if we're having more than one division. Um, and that is a prickly subject, depending yeah. on who you talk to. Uh, yeah, we'll talk pro-rel in a second. Um, I, I would say, I think from the league's perspe- perspective, what they would argue is, yes, you're absolutely right. If we get to 32, you can't have a balanced schedule. Everybody can't play everybody home and away. But that's what playoffs are for. Playoffs are meant to correct a, a scheduling imbalance that the idea being, if you're good enough to make it into the playoffs, then you can sort of take advantage and everybody's starting on level footing, even though they're they're ranked and playing accordingly. Maybe that's not quite level footing. I think that would be the league's argument for how playoffs sort of correct that imbalance. I was also curious, Graham, if if the league were to get to 32, would we see it? Basically split into two conferences, everybody plays each other home and away, and now you've got 30 games, and then we have a 30-game regular season, maybe more teams making it to the playoffs. I talked to a few people who know much more than I, and the consensus was no, that they do not want to shorten the season, they don't want fewer games, if anything, they want more games. So I don't know how they will end up making that happen once you get to 30, short of it being you play everybody in your conference home and away, and then you have like five or six uh, out-of-conference games that become sort of interleague play. You have this one month where everybody's playing people from other conferences, and that's the way they'll do it. That seems to be a short-term solution with playoffs sort of balancing it out. 
it, it feels, if not makeshift, then just sort of erratic, I guess, in the approach. And maybe this is a thing that they have more consistent plans for and more long-term plans for. But I, I share your concerns about continued expansion and how unwieldy the league could or can become. Yeah, I, I've always felt like it's it's possible for MLS at some point in the future to have an MLS 1 and an MLS 2. And then yeah. in terms of the concern with relegation for owners is obviously that they're they're paying a certain expansion fee and then all of a sudden that that franchise is not worth what it was worth before so maybe for the second division you have a, a sort of parachute payment system so that the owners aren't out of pocket when they do get relegated or if they are in the in the second tier i am um, the last time i spoke to don garber and i have spoken to him a few times i, I kind of put that to him and he just and he just went uh the gist of what he said was uh nope and then i was like okay but what if you do it this this way and he was just like uh no no we wouldn't do that either <laughs> so he just shot down my idea in flames i i don't think it's kind of on the horizon anytime soon but when we're talking about 20 30 50 years down the line i, I just don't know how mls grows certainly in the way of number of teams without considering something like that i think it has to be on the agenda at some point Listeners, if your mind was just blown by what Graham said, you're not alone. So is mine. Graham, you've talked to Don Garber about promotion and relegation? I did, yeah. I had a, a brunch with him and uh, raised it. Are, yeah, and Graham, do you have down. $300 million lying around? Because now I'm wondering, if you're hanging out and having lunch with Don Garber, I'm wondering if I actually understand who you are at all. Are you a billionaire? <laughs> is that what's going on? I mean, it was only brunch, Taylor. Let's not ca- get carried away. It wasn't lunch. I'm not rich. <laughs> but really, so so what was what was... That like, was it a bunch of different journalists like all yeah. having a sit down and then everybody got to ask different questions? Yeah, it was it was very in- informal. It okay. wasn't, as far as I'm aware, it wasn't like a quote taking mm-hmm. situation. It was kind of just a, a very informal uh, brunch with Don Garber. It might actually have just been a straight breakfast, which is a, 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 an even lower rung. Ooh. That's just what he does after he wakes up. Um, Falling down the rankings here. Falling yeah. down the rankings. But I, I did ask him about promotion relegation, whether it would ever happen and yeah, he in uh, no uncertain terms, he basically told me no. But I, I don't know whether that's him just... I would like to get inside his head properly and, and actually work out what he's thinking. I, I guess because he sold MLS to all those rich uh, billionaire owners yeah. as there's not going to be relegation. When you ask him that question, he's always going to say no. But I, w- I would like to know what he's really thinking about the future and whether, whether that'll actually happen. I, I, yeah, I have two guesses on that one. Complete, like, or maybe, maybe just like theories and guesses. Uh, the first would be that that they're okay with it being a closed system, similar to the NFL. You got thirty-two teams. That's what we're gonna go with. Maybe we have divisions or conferences or whatever it might be, but we're just gonna keep it at that. There will be no expansion. If if a city or an owner really wants a team, then they're gonna have to buy an existing one and move them. I don't really love that aspect of of soccer in the United States or of sports in the United States. So I think that's probably the most likely outcome, but it's not my favorite. If we're talking pro-rel, I think there are obviously different forms of promotion relegation. And I'm not surprised to hear him immediately shoot it down for the reasons you mentioned. If owners ever got a whiff that he was considering it, I think it would be a fairly controversial and strong response. But I think People think Pro-Rel is like they're just going to open it up and any team, the Richmond Kickers in USL League One or a semi-pro yeah. team in Baltimore can, can potentially play their way up. And I think if they were to do it, it's going to still be a closed system. It will all be Absolutely. under the umbrella of MLS. And so, yeah, I'm with you that maybe they expand to 40, but then it's two divisions uh, each with 20 teams. I could see a scenario in which they do something like they have 
the second, like, they start off with, like, MLS 2 being the reserve teams of every single franchise. And then if a team wants to buy in, they're buying that, like, reserve team's spot. And you buy into MLS 2 that way with, like, complete revenue sharing. I, I find it hard to believe that they would take existing teams and just split them in half and be like, well, you had a bad season, so the LA Galaxy and LAFC are now down in the second division. I don't know how they would structure it given how many teams are already there, but I think a closed system with complete revenue sharing is the most logical one if they were going to go that route. What what you said there about just sending some teams down to the lower division, I'm still bitter about Scotland doing that in the mid-90s because that's exactly what happened in Scotland. And one of the teams that historically... Lost out was Sterling Albion, no! who up until that point like that. had been uh, kind of a first or second division team. We finished mid table in the first division at that time, but got sent down because half the teams got relegated and Sterling Albion never recovered. We are now a, a lower league team. We're in the bottom division and it can all be traced back to that moment. So basically what I'm saying is uh, the LA Galaxy better get their act together or they're going to be in the bottom rung of uh, American soccer <laughs> 20 years is. from now, 20 to 30 years from now. MLS 2, baby. MLS 2, MLS 3, MLS 4, and on we go. Because it is... A gigantic country with uh, yep. a few people. There's a few people living here. And I think you could have as many teams as you want. And that probably does lift the sport across the board. But it also does a lot of what the sport is supposed to do, which is, I don't know, bring about a sense of community, get people involved in the sport, but ideally give back and you have more community outreach and more funding and maybe even better education. I think there's many ways in which it could benefit, but I think it's a really hard sell when you have the billionaires who own the teams in a closed system, I don't think there's much motivation for them to abandon that system. I'm not saying that makes it right. I'm not saying that is a justified reason for ProRail not to exist. It's just, it's the reality. And you have to factor the reality and the other side's position into the equation. You might fully believe that ProRail is the only way forward and should happen, and it's morally wrong to not have ProRail. I don't begrudge you that. But that doesn't mean that an owner of a team is going to agree with you and say, you're right, never mind. Let's open the whole system up. So I think if we are going to have ProRail at some point, and I'm not even sure we will, but if we were, it it probably is only going to function in a way that that, if not benefits, at least incorporates the views of the people who have dropped 100 or 70 or 200 or $300 million on their teams. And I think we are reaching a really important moment in MLS for, uh, expansion. So from that moment, we, we mentioned that kind of inflection period with Toronto and, and Seattle. From that moment until now, it has pretty much been a nonstop drive of, of expansion. Mm-hmm. I My personal hunch is they'll get to 32, I think. Um, San Diego have been pushing that pretty yep. hard. Phoenix are in the running, yep. I think. Detroit, do they still kick around? You hear their name yep. getting mentioned from time to time. I think there's there's two teams left from the kind of existing pool of of markets that have chased a franchise for a number of years. I think they get to 32. I think then you reach a moment where you go, okay, what next? Um, and that that will I think we'll learn more after a few years. When we when we reach 32, a few years after that point, I think we will learn more about what MLS's long, long-term view is in terms of expansion of, of that division and that, that brand, I guess, if you want to call it that. Yeah, I, I agree with you on those potential expansion sites. It does feel like the next mo- three most likely would be Vegas and then San Diego and Phoenix. The issue then becomes those are three pretty predominantly like Western Conference teams. It's tough to get Vegas playing in the East. It makes Send me- Nashville back. 
Yeah, that first of all, yes, I think that's what we're talking. There's going to bounce back and forth. I think I think Kansas City was once in the East briefly, and I guess you do get that in the NFL, where like the Dallas Cowboys are in the NFC East, and maybe that's what it would end up being is sort of smaller divisions where you play everybody home and away, and then you're playing maybe the like MLS East in, in like for four games or something like that, and that's how they would end up splitting up the schedule. I guess that makes sense. It still seems unwieldy and a little bit fly-by-night or experimental. I'm sure there's smarter minds than my own trying to figure these things out. I would personally love Louisville City to get a look, or the city of Louisville, I should say. Uh, I, I just have a personal affinity for that place, but Kentucky's got a strong soccer history. Uh, you've got uh, uh, Racing Louisville, so there's there's already some professionalism there, and it does kind of fit a few of the criteria you mentioned, uh, Graham, for why it could work. But overall, I think we've talked plenty about Major, or Major League Soccer expansion and what it might look like going forward. Grant, do you have any ideas, before we close, on how ProRail could work in a country as big as the United States? I know that's a huge question, a loaded question, but it's something we've talked about many times on the show uh, with varying plans and various approaches. Uh, any, any thoughts from you on if ProRail could work and if so, how it could work? Just, just what we've already kind of talked about in terms of it being under the one umbrella, yep. I don't think, I don't think the American soccer pyramid will ever be opened up in the in the same way that it is in England, for example, where you have the Premier League as the top division, you know, and then EFL, and then uh, what's below that conference, Vanarama Conference League, and so on. I I don't think that'll ever happen. If it's going to happen, it will be MLS controlling the whole thing and having an MLS one or an MLS two or an MLS East or an MLS West. Yeah, I think that's the. The only uh, the only way it happens, and that is bad news for my fledgling uh, Glasgow franchise, um, the first <laughs> international MLS franchise. Ooh. If if there's going to be a NFL franchise in London, I say there can be an MLS franchise in Glasgow. Oh, I really like that idea of the league expands to that point where we start trying to like cut it. Man, that would be would that be the most hated team in England by far? Uh, yes. Yeah, yeah <laughs> MK Dons, and then. Uh, Especially if you gave it like a really American, like the, like, I was going to say the Yankees, but yeah. that's there you go. No, that's perfect. Let's do it. The MK yeah, Don's Just Yankees. steal that name, yeah. Yeah. I mean, that would be the team, wouldn't it? That like, you just get them to just join Major League Soccer, MK Don's. Like, they're already disliked by a good percentage of the population, I feel like. Yeah, just get them into MLS yeah, and then you've got your footprint. Yeah, just pick a British city that doesn't have a big team. So, I don't know, Bath? They don't have a, the Bath Yankees. There you go. They now play in MLS. <laughs> the Bath Stars oh, and Stripes. I'm so happy that we've landed on that. The Bath Yankees, the, ba- the Bath Stars and Stripes. Just the Bath Americans and make it extra confusing. Yeah. I think there has been, I think there was an NASL or an indoor team that was called the Americans. So maybe you've got some existing branding to work with as well. Graham Ruffin, we've covered a lot of ground on this one, talked about a lot of things. Uh, I very much appreciate your taking the time to talk MLS expansion with me today. No problem, Taylor. That was a fun one. Listeners, thanks so much for listening. This has been Soccer 101. He's been Graham Ruffin. I've been Taylor Rockwell. Thanks so much for listening. We'll talk to you soon. 